Welcome to the Business Trends Podcast. I'm Phil Preston, and this is episode five and your weekly update of about five to 10 minutes. So firstly, some listener feedback. Thanks to Hannah, a director of purpose based in Vancouver, working across her company's portfolio of football club investments. She outlined interest in several future topic areas, um, which included um, topics like integrating purpose into core business strategic planning processes. And while we probably won't go into micro detail into that in the future, I have some things coming up that will play to that theme very nicely. Thanks also to Megan, who's based in Pennsylvania. She's the director of ESG for a global environmental asset management business. And Chris from Canberra in Australia for your positive feedback on the last episode regarding company purpose statements. And a shout out to Canadian purpose guru, Coro Strandberg, who's also in Vancouver. There must be a lot going on there. Who agrees with the premise of two companies having the same or similar purpose. And what will distinguish them will be how they execute it or bring it to life. So I totally agree with that. That's uh, very eloquently put. Now, today we're um, looking at the first of several episodes on banks. Now, these will be spaced out over time. I'm not going to bomb you with them all at once. And despite some bad turns from banks in several parts of the world, and there'll be mentions of those things coming up in future episodes Banks also have the capacity to be great innovators, and I'm going to provide you with an in-depth example or case study very shortly on that. Banking as an industry is important because of its size. Um, They can create change at scale because of that size and, and the client base that they have. And how they can do it could be through strategic moves, innovative new business models, and our example today is a case study of those two things. They could also do it through their operations, so how they manage customer problems, for example, or in addressing bigger picture issues as part of a coalition. So along with other banks, other businesses, government agencies, not-for-profits, working all together to improve the conditions for success in their industry is another way of, of pursuing, I guess, profit and purpose together. Before we jump in, I just want to clarify that we're not talking about some of the things people often associate with purpose, like volunteering programs or sponsorships or corporate foundation activities, because they are more peripheral. And while they're very valid and have a great place, I'm really interested about what happens in the core of business. And not that we're going to exclude those other things, but let's really focus on the core of business. Now, in my book, Connecting Profit with Purpose, I open up with the mention of the Benigo and Adelaide Bank. This is a medium-sized bank with regional origins in Australia. And I want to also emphasize that the concept here is the main thing to focus on, not the specific strategy, because strategies change, they evolve over time, they become ultimately outdated, and what works in one industry won't necessarily work in another, but it's the concept here that is transferable. So focus on how they frame the problem. Uh, how they innovated, and what new partnerships were formed in that process. So let's get into it. In 2017, two years after Fortune magazine launched its Change the World list, the Bendigo and Adelaide Bank featured at number 13 on that list. So this little-known, small-but-growing Australian regional bank looked really out of place on this list because it was surrounded by names like Apple, Walmart, Toyota, and Unilever, In terms of size, it was ranked at that point in time about 75th on our local stock exchange in Australia. And the question is, well, why was the Benigo and Adelaide Bank there at number 13 on this global change the world list? What did it do to earn its place? 
The criteria, just so you know, for inclusion in that list is to be creating positive social impact through core and profitable business. So to, to discover how Bendigo and Adelaide Bank got there, we need to just go back briefly to the late 1990s. And this is before Bendigo Bank merged with Adelaide Bank. Now, around that time, the four really large Australian banks were retreating from rural, regional and suburban areas where their branches were underperforming or were unprofitable. So bear in mind, this is well before internet banking became a, a thing for most people. And as a result of the major banks retreating, people who lived in these areas would have to drive often quite some distance to access banking services. They'd have to drive to the nearest regional centre or larger centre, which in some parts of Australia, like other parts in the world, could be even hundreds of kilometres away. It also meant they'd be doing more of their shopping and spending away from their hometown, and these smaller towns were starting to feel the pinch of declining trade. Bendigo Bank saw this as an opportunity. However, it, there was no point in them going in and just opening up a standard bank branch in places where it's already proven those branches were not profitable. So instead, they devised an innovative way of directly partnering with local communities to bring a physical branch presence back to town. How? Well, they launched their community banking model. This is a direct partnership formed with more than 100 local community members who raise capital and become shareholders in an entity that is a joint venture with the bank. So the locals take responsibility for marketing, customer acquisition and relationship management, and the bank supplies the systems and infrastructure such as products, IT, compliance, and capital management services. They've effectively created a series of joint ventures with local communities. And in some ways, it resembles a franchising structure, sort of, um, that's implemented by way of a joint venture. The bank and the local shareholders share revenues. And when the, the branches become profitable, which usually takes three to five years, 80% of the local shareholders portion of the dividend is reinvested back into the community by way of grants that the local community or local shareholders decide upon. So it's going into things that are meaningful and needed by the community. At the time of writing, um, when I did this, which was um, my book was released in 2020, that amount that had been reinvested back into the community exceeded $200 million. And since the inception of the model, the bank had established more than 300 branches employing 1,500 staff and drawing upon the expertise and connections of more than 2,000 local directors. From a commercial perspective, the strategy has generated $34 billion of balance sheet assets for the bank. It's driven higher than average customer growth rates and led to the acquisition of more than 1 million new customers under the Bendigo Bank brand name. It has helped them grow to become the fifth largest retail bank in Australia and is a great example of profit growth occurring in lockstep with positive social outcomes. So some extra thoughts on this include, well, does this mean everything the bank does is, is pure and, and fantastic? Um, well, probably not, but just think about the scale of what they've done here because it's driven by core business and they've, they've created more than 300 of these community bank branches across the country. And consider how that might look if you, say, took a philanthropic approach where you have a, a limited amount of capital or funds they may be able to set up two or three branches, and but they would be unprofitable. So they'd be needing to, I guess, address or fund those ongoing losses. 
So as you can see, this core business approach has a much greater social impact. The bank has described itself as seeking to feed into prosperity and not off of it. And I really like that line. It was an innovative business model and one in which they were willing to work with new partners in new ways. And in this case, the new partners were the local community members. So let's just pull back a bit here. Um, it doesn't matter whether you work in the banking sector or not. This type of innovation is transferable and can be applied to any industry. Now, this example is about communities maintaining access to products and services that were being withdrawn. Um, other banking examples I've documented include dramatically reducing customer hardship with early interventions. And the win-win is that it also reduces bad debts for the, for the banks in question. And also in the same year that Bendigo Bank appeared at number 13 on this list, that was back in 2017, JP Morgan Chase & Co. topped the list with their Invest Detroit platform where they're helping to revitalize distressed neighborhoods. And that strategy was weaving together things happening in their core business along with their corporate social responsibility and um, philanthropic efforts. But they were doing all that in partnership with government departments and not-for-profits. So it was quite a collective effort. So to round this up, we've really just touched on one area of purpose with respect to banks, and we're going to do more in coming weeks. If you want to read more about purpose-driving innovation and competitive advantage, uh, my book, Connecting Profit with Purpose, is found on major platforms like Amazon and Booktopia and so on. Just imagine if all the ideas and concepts and examples that we're discussing become mainstream in business, if they become the standard or the default way of thinking, then just think about the amount of impact that could create, the positive impact that can create in this world of ours. And that's why I'd love you to share this as far and wide as possible. I invite you to provide feedback. You'll find my contact details and links in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Business Purpose Trends podcast. I'm Phil Preston. Have a great day and may the business purpose trend be with you.